Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. God is in this place. And we are so glad that you're here as well. We're going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit this morning. John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. We're going to see the Holy Spirit and our passion this morning, the Holy Spirit and our priorities, and then the Holy Spirit and our provision this morning out of the Gospel of John chapter 4. Last week we ended with chapter 4, and Jesus was in the midst of a conversation with this woman who had been searching all her life for fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning. And she had sort of looked for it in all the wrong places. She never really landed with God being the the one that could fulfill and satisfy her. In the midst of their conversation, Jesus says to her, well, if you knew the water that I could give you, this spiritual water, this, this spiritual nourishment and refreshment, he said, you'd never be thirsty again. And she says, well, give me this water. I want that. And then Jesus sort of challenges her by reminding her that her life has been spent looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in everyone and everything but God. When he asks her to go call her husband, she's like, well, you know, uh, I don't really have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you're right. The guy that you're living with now is not your husband. And you've had many husbands in your life. And it's just a reminder of the longing that she had, trying to fulfill it in other places other than God. So when God begins to have those heart-to-heart conversations with us, a lot of times as human beings, we try to divert the conversation or redirect it. I don't want to keep talking about this. This is uncomfortable. So she starts talking to Jesus about worship. Because what's more divisive than worship, right? What has more differences of opinion than worship? And Jesus basically says to her, you don't know what you're worshiping. You don't have a clue. We as Jews, we know what we worship or who we are to worship, but you don't because your worship, the whole idea of worship for you is all about externals. In fact, the word worship that's used here in the Greek language, in the Greek New Testament, is a transitive verb. A transitive verb requires an object. And in the Bible, the object is always God. God must be the object of our worship. And yet many times, even in today's Christianity, when you talk to people about worship, it's always about the style of worship and the preferences of worship and the music that's involved in worship and all these sort of issues that really aren't the center of worship because what God is trying to say to this woman and what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives is to say, it's a heart issue. Man, there's a hum. You guys hearing that? I'm hearing that hum. It's just really distracting. Sorry. Um, And 
I look at the Holy Spirit and our passion is he's this heart surgeon, if you will. And the Holy Spirit is in our lives trying to shape our heart to beat for God. To give us a passion for God. Because that's really what worship is all about. It's a heart issue. All these other things that, that have been argued about and are contended about throughout history and even into our modern day and age really doesn't get to the heart of worship. In fact, Jesus points this out. Notice what he says in verse 23 of chapter 4 to this woman. He says, a time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And the people who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's talking there about worship is not about all these externals. It's about our heart and the condition of our heart. And do we really have a passion and heart for God in our worship? In fact, the word worship here in the Greek language is not only a transitive verb, but literally the word means to adore God on our knees. That's what it means. That's the picture that, in a sense, God wants to fill our minds with when it comes to our worship. It's about adoration. It's about our heart. It's not about filling our lives with all these things that we feel we're obligated to and that we have to do, but that we do the things that we do in worshiping God because we want to, because it's out of our heart. And this has always been a problem with the people of God. Even in the Old Testament, God said this to his people. He says, my people say they are loyal to me. My people say wonderful things about me, but they are not loyal to me. Their worship is filled with nothing more than man-made rituals and traditions. And then Jesus picks up on that in the New Testament and says, my people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, that pretty much cuts right to the heart of it, doesn't it? Jesus says, so many people are worshiping in the name of God. And they come even to churches like this. And we sing and we, we offer God all these things and we serve it. And we do all these external things. But God says, they mean nothing to me if I don't have your heart. If you're doing all these things somehow because you feel like you have to or you're obligated and it's not out of a heart of love that you're doing it because you want to, then it means nothing. And that's why the Holy Spirit's ministry and presence in our life is so vital. Because what the Holy Spirit will do once he comes into our lives after we believe in Jesus Christ is he literally continually shapes our heart to beat for God. That God becomes, you know, the love of our life. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's love. You see, and, and so much of what those who claim to follow God, you know, we do, we get caught up in all these other things that from God's perspective, it really doesn't matter. That's not what your focus should be on. I think today, even when we talk about worship and we allow uh, 
worship to divide us and all that. It's always about, you know, again, the style of worship. People worship worship today. They worship the style of worship. They worship the, the kind of music in worship. They, they worship the preferences that they have of worship. But do they really worship God? Because if our focus was really on God, would all those other things really matter? Worship is not about what we get. It's about what we give. We should come with a heart of worship saying, God, I want to give you. Rather than, God, what are you giving me? See, the whole word worship even connects with the idea of worthiness and value. In fact, originally, it was translated as worship instead of worship. Because the word has to do with everything about what we value the most. What is most valuable to us? What, what is worth the most? What, what is most important to us? And, and, and it's through understanding that, that when the Holy Spirit begins to shape our heart for, to beat for God, God will become, and the things of God will become what is most valuable, most worthy. Uh, it, it's what will consume, you know, our time and our energy and our efforts and all that, rather than, again, pursuing other things. And the reason why, again, God calls us to that kind of a life and lifestyle is because God knows that's the only thing that will bring lasting meaning, fulfillment, and satisfaction to our lives. I mean, think about it. When we get to heaven, are any of us going to raise our hand after a worship song and say, God, that, that wasn't my style. I didn't like that one. Is that, is that what we're going to do? Or some of us going to go, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not sing because singing's not my bag. Are we going to do that when we get to heaven? God, I'm not into praising you. That, that's not where I, you know, that's, that's not where I'm about. Or, or some people are like, God, could those seraphim around your throne learn another song besides holy, holy, holy? Man, that's all I hear them say over and over and over again. See, when you and I have a heart that beats for God, all the things that we think are important about worship, like this woman was trying to talk about the place, well, you know, we Samaritans, we worship God over here, and you Jews, you worship God over there, and Jesus is like, it's not about the place. It's not about your preferences. It's not about the style. It's not about any of that. It's about having a heart for God. And the Holy Spirit will be that heart surgeon that will literally and continually shape our heart for God so that we have a heart that beats for God every day. Creating a passion for God above all other things. And so we see that here. So if there are key verses in this chapter on the Holy Spirit and our passion, it would certainly be verses 23 and 24, especially 24. God is spirit. If you and I are going to learn then to connect at that, at that level, then we've got to allow the Holy Spirit who lives within us to shape our heart to beat for God in spirit and in truth. See, again, why truth? Well, because there are, again, so many people that in the name of God, they're worshiping God, they're praising God and all that, but their heart isn't in it. As Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but God knows our heart. 
And he knows whether the things that we do for him or in his name are really things, again, that we want to do out of a love for him or whether they're things that we feel we're obligated to do. We have to. I mean, carry that over into our human relationships. Does it not show real love even in our human relationships with the things that we do for others are things that we want to do, not, well, I feel like I should and I have to, you know, it's an obligation. What does that communicate? Well, where's our love, you see? Because when we truly love, then we're going to do it because we want to, and it's really not going to be any effort. It's not going to be a drag. That's why it's, it's so sad when it's like you feel like you've got to like, a lot of these churches feel like they've got to run, you know, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey circuses to get people to come somehow to the house of God to be there and worship him. Well, shouldn't people, if we are people of God, shouldn't we be busting down the doors to get there to worship God? Why should we have to have all this motivation and always have all these external things to get, if our heart beats for God, then we want to be there. And there's a self-motivation. I don't need external motivation to do things that I love. I'm going to do them because I love them. And that's the kind of heart that the Holy Spirit wants to create in us. So the Holy Spirit and our passion, but you also see here, as you move on into chapter 6, the Holy Spirit and our priorities. I want to pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 6. This group of people who are sort of following Jesus, but they're sort of like, you know, those that follow, but again, where's their heart at? When they found Jesus, because Jesus had just walked out on the water, sent his disciples out on the lake, Big storm comes up. You know the story. Jesus walks out to them. Everything is calm, and then they get to the other side. So when they get there, these folks found him on the other side of the lake, and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And you notice Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He replied, I tell you the solemn truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all these loaves of bread you wanted. Jesus is exposing their motivation. Because again, God knows our heart. And God knows why they are seeking him. It's not, again, really seeking him. It's like, what can you do for me, Jesus? In fact, he goes on to say, here's what the problem is, verse 27. Do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life. Jesus is saying, it's about learning to live for eternal things rather than the temporal, physical, uh, material things that you all are interested in. In a sense, Jesus is saying, you've got the wrong priorities. Even in your following me, you've got the wrong priorities because you're only following me because, again, what you think I can give you, not on a spiritual level, because you're not really interested in it. That's not your priority. You're interested in the physical, material, temporal thing. That's why you're following me. Can I say again, that's why many churches today that preach what is labeled the health and wealth gospel, 
You know, you, you give to God and God will make sure that you're, you know, healthy, wealthy and all that kind of stuff. That's why those churches are filled with thousands upon thousands of people because that appeals to the flesh. It always has. There are always those people who they're looking for God only because, again, what they can get in their own value system. And their value system isn't the same as God's. God's is always spiritual trumps physical. Theirs is, no, physical, temporal, material things trump anything spiritual. And that's what Jesus was exposing here. And it all has to do with their priorities. Notice the next question. Verse 28. So then they said to him, what must we do to accomplish the deeds of, that God requires? And again, it's all about what do I have to do? And it's again almost like an obligation and it's something that I can do rather than receiving what God has already done. So Jesus replied, well, this is the deed God requires. Believe in the one whom he sent. In other words, me. And then I love this, verse 30, and you'll see this in the context. They said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform so that, you may, so that we may see it and believe you? You know what's in chapter 6 of John? You know what happened earlier in the chapter? Jesus fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. Pretty miraculous sign, right? They all were there. They knew it. And now they're still asking, Jesus, could you do something else? Because remember, he said to them, you're following me because of the loaves of bread. So they were there. They saw this great miracle and sign. But again, typical of many human beings, if their heart is looking for different things, even from God, then no matter what sign God does, no matter what miracle God does, it's never enough because it's not the kind of miracle or sign that they're looking for. They're not looking for something to point them to him, to have a relationship and intimate fellowship and communion with him. They're looking for something, again, always material, physical, and temporal, something tangible that they can get their hands on. And that's never the priorities of God. And Jesus says to them in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never grow hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And notice after Jesus' is teaching that three times in this chapter, first of all in verse 41, what, were ha what was happening? They began complaining about him. Then in verse 43, Jesus replied to them, do not complain about me to one another. Wow. How do you like to say that to somebody who's complaining about you? Then even down in verse 60, or I'm sorry, 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this. Complain, complain, complain. What fuels complaint? Discontentment. Even though Jesus had done miracles and done things before, the reason that they were complaining about Jesus and what he was doing and the way he was doing it was because he wasn't meeting the kind of needs they were looking for. They were discontent because they wanted the material, physical, 
temporal things to take priority. And God was always about pointing people, first of all, to their spiritual need and making sure that they were being filled up spiritually because he says, if your soul is filled, if your spirit is filled by me, then you can navigate all these other things, physical and and temporal, regardless of whether you have a lot or you don't. You as Paul can learn to be content in any situation and it won't be about your life being driven by the physical and the material and the, and, and the temporal things of life. It'll be about your foundation of life being the spiritual thing. But they didn't want that. And that's why many times you and I, even as followers of God, we can get to a point where we can complain to God. And the reason we complain to God is because our priorities are all out of line and messed up. Because God isn't meeting this need the way I think he should. And it's usually what it is. It's a physical, temporal, or material need of some kind. Because God is trying to say, but I want you to focus on the spiritual. I want that to be the priority. And when God doesn't meet our physical, temporal, or material needs the way we think he should, then just like them, we start complaining. God, why do I follow you? Why, you're not coming through for me. I prayed about this and that and all these things, and that's where we get to when our priorities are out of whack. Then our perspective even about God begins to get out of whack. Then we start to look at God as somehow holding out on us and and not being a loving father and all these. This is where these people were, again, because of their priorities. So I want to take you over. You go, well, how, how does this tie in with the spirit? Hang in there. There's a lot in these chapters. In verse 59, though, I want you to see this. This is important. This is a warning to all of us. John makes sure, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he lets everybody know where Jesus was saying these things and who the crowd was. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. The reason why that's significant is John is saying, you realize that you can be in a house of worship, whether it's a synagogue or a temple or a church or anything, and that everyone in there is missing it. That, that they don't get it. That they, they, they've gathered together, supposedly in the name of God, supposedly to worship God, and they don't have a clue about what's going on. In fact, Jesus, the Son of God, the bread of life, is standing right there in front of them, and they don't even recognize him. And I think today, this verse is a warning to all houses of worship that we better be careful that as we gather together, that we make sure that we're getting it right and that our passion for God is being fueled and and shaped by the Holy Spirit who gives us a heart to beat for God and that our priorities are God's priorities. Not our own priorities. Because in verse 60, John said, many of his disciples, when they heard these things that Jesus was saying, 
was saying, this is a difficult saying. In the original, it means difficult to accept. Not difficult as far as I can't understand it. I can't grasp it. It's, I'm having a hard time accepting this, Jesus. Who can understand it? And when Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? And here it is. The Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you here who do not believe. You see, the words that Jesus described here that he's speaking about deals with spiritual realities and results in spiritual life. Therefore, they actually come from the Spirit and are extremely important. But the most important thing I want us to see today for the message is this. The Holy Spirit also not only shapes our heart for God and gives us a passion for God, but he also shapes our heart to align our priorities with God's priorities. Or maybe to say it another way, to make God's priorities our own priorities. That's what verse 63 is all about. The Spirit is the one who gives life. And I'm not just talking about, well, I obtained life through the Spirit. No, he's talking here, Jesus, about being alive, about experiencing real living. It's not just about possessing life. It's about living life at the highest level, at, at the highest quality. It's what Jesus said later on in John when he says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, a human being can literally be alive physically and their heart be beating and yet not really be alive. Or we can exist on earth as human beings and be breathing every day and going through the motions, but not really experience real life. Why? Because our priorities are not God's priorities. Our priorities, is our, the pursuit of our life is going in this direction. Because maybe even like the woman of Samaria, we're still trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life in everyone and everything else but God. And maybe even when we come into a relationship with God, our priority is still, even though we claim to be spiritual people, that the priority of our existence always defaults back to the physical and the material and the temporal things take priority over the spiritual. And we sacrifice, in fact, the spiritual for many times our pursuit of the physical, temporal, material things of life. In fact, Wednesday night at our Bible study through the prophet Zechariah, there was a great warning there to the people of God that pursuing material things and physical things and temporal things over our spiritual well-being is very costly to God's people. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing here. The Spirit is the one who gives life. When you and I learn to live by the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and be connected by the Spirit, the Spirit will raise our living a whole other level. And we will start to experience real life. And we will start to come alive and be truly alive as much as a human being can be on earth. 
How sad today that many human beings are not really alive. In fact, do we not live in a world today where instead of coming more alive, people are trying to deaden themselves? I mean, let's just take one example, the crisis of drugs. Life becomes so difficult and so challenging that they can't deal with it, they can't face it, they don't want to think about it, so let's try to escape it. Let's just deaden our senses. Let's deaden our senses with drugs and alcohol and all these other things, and let's not feel, because I can't deal with feel. So I'm just going to deaden myself and turn in. That's not living. That's not being alive. See, through the Spirit, God will give us the capacity to be able to truly face down anything and come alive and face it through the strength and power and wisdom and grace of Almighty God. And the Holy Spirit will help shape our priorities so that we're not like the people following Jesus who started to complain about him because he wasn't the kind of savior they were looking for. Their Messiah wasn't meeting their expectations because he was more concerned about their spiritual life than he was their physical comfort, their material prosperity, and all of those things. One other thing, the Holy Spirit in our provision. If you go over to chapter 7, verse 37, We looked at this passage briefly last week because it really does define for us the living water that Jesus was talking to the woman about at the well back in John chapter 4. When it clearly says in verse 39, he was referring to the water here as the presence of the Spirit in our lives. But before that, and I don't have time to go into this, but this feast that Jesus was at was one of the maybe greatest celebratory feasts that the Jews had the whole year. And water was a very prominent part of the celebration of this feast. And so the Bible says on the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and shouted out. And those words, folks, speak about a deep emotion that was literally overflowing and welling up and coming out of Jesus. Here was a man filled with emotion as he spoke to this vast group of people. Because again, Jesus as God knows our hearts and he could see before him how many spiritually thirsty, starving people there were who were trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose apart from God in their life. And they will continue to do it. Because even if they say, well, that satisfied me now, we all know that the Bible says, yeah, it can satisfy you for a little bit, but you got to keep doing it. There's no lasting satisfaction or fulfillment. So Jesus is filled with emotion here. He stands up and he shouts out at this great feast where thousands of people were. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, from within him, 
will flow rivers of living water. And he said this about the Spirit. This is one of the great invitations in the Bible. And I want to point this out because this is important. In verse 38, Jesus here is using verbs, well, 37 and 38. He's using verbs in the present tense. So read it with me this way. Jesus stood up and shouted, If anyone is continually thirsty, let him keep coming to me, and let the one who believes in me keep drinking. Because Jesus here is describing an inexhaustible supernatural resource, which is his spirit who lives within us. And Jesus is basically saying, this provision of the spirit, this supernatural resource that exists within you, is something that you've got to thirst for. It's something that you've got to recognize and acknowledge that you're, first of all, thirsty. And then instead of the one and done where like, well, I come now and then that's going to last me. It's like we, we become spiritual sort of hoarders where I, I go to God once and think that that's good for a while. Jesus says you, you have to recognize each and every day my need for God. And that I need God as much tomorrow as I need him today. And that there's no time in my life where it's like, well, God, I needed you then. I needed you that day or that week or that. But I don't, I don't need you now. I need him as much now as I did yesterday. I'll need him as much next week as I did. So Jesus says, you've got to have that mindset that that thirst within you and that need that is within you is something that's got to be continually provided for. And I'm the only one that can do it. So you've got to keep coming and you've got to keep drinking. I mean, parallel that with the physical. How many of us, of us live our lives that way with food? Well, I had one meal this week. I'm good to go. No. In fact, most of us are like, once we get one meal done, then we're thinking about what the next meal is and when it is. And Jesus is just simply saying, oh, that you would be that way with the spiritual. That you would be that way with me that you would realize how much you need me and that you have a supernatural resource in the Holy Spirit that literally dwells within you, that is this fountain that flows. It's a river. I mean, what Jesus is picturing there is, is not some little gentle meandering stream. The words that he uses here is, is picturing a mighty torrent of water. In my much younger days, I did whitewater rafting. It was one of those things that I did. It was like, it was very exhilarating and fun, but it scared you to death at the same time. And there were places back east where we're from that literally like, uh, you know, the Olympic team would, would train on. And one day we, we went on this basically river of rapids that was at a level five. It was it was flood stage, and they were debating because we weren't professionals of whether to even let us go down. And the reason I bring all that up is if I ever want to picture the source of the Holy Spirit in my life, don't picture this little gentle stream that, you know, meanders through the countryside. Picture this mighty torrent of water 
that literally is just flowing inside of us. And the Holy Spirit wants to provide for our every need and wants to be that supernatural resource. But the key that unlocks it is my thirst. If I don't feel thirsty, if I don't acknowledge my need, then I never go to the Holy Spirit or to God and say, God, I need you today just as desperately as I needed you yesterday. Please give me what, what I need today. Overflow in my life, God. Be a resource to me. I need you, God. And I know that what I really need today, I can only get from you. And you live right within me. It's not like I have to go far. He's always available. But the problem is that we can go for days and not even think about our thirst spiritually. And you and I, again, wouldn't dream of that physically. I mean, you and I start to get a little thirsty, and it's like, man, we, i got to get some water. Living in the desert, that's certainly true. But how many Christians even go for days, weeks, maybe even months, and never really turn to the God who lives in them and says, I'm thirsty, help me out here. Because he will. Jesus promised he will be this river that literally wells up and flows within you. And you never have to like come to God and just get a couple drops and fill up. As I've shared with you before, a great way to picture the spirit-filled and Christian life the way God intended is to take a cup, cut the bottom out of the cup. And instead of picturing your life like this cup that you go to God and say, God, fill me up, and then it gets emptied, that you take the bottom out of the cup and you turn it on its side and you literally put it in to a river. And you just let that water just continually flow in one side of you and out the other side. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to look. And Jesus is saying that's the provision that the Holy Spirit is. He's this river within us that wants to flow. Because again, notice Jesus saying the worst thing that can happen to us as a believer is to stagnate because that's not a river. That's a pond. Jesus says, I never want your life to just stagnate, to stay where it is. It's got to be a river that always flows because God, notice this, picture this, God wants to fill us up in a sense and flow through us, but it doesn't even stop with us. Then it's dispersed to others. And that's why God wants us to have also a passion for him and have his priorities and, and, and go to the spirit who provides for us because God wants to use our lives to bless others to be an oasis for others, to be a refreshment to others. How can I be that if I'm not allowing the Spirit to flow through me? Then I'm always going around in life again, even like the woman going, will, will you be my fulfillment? And, and will I find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in you? Or, or we go around and we come to church with our cup and go, God, fill me up for a few hours. But then tomorrow we're empty already. And we not only are no good to ourselves, but we're very not much good to anyone else around us. Because no one can look to us to, to, in a sense, serve and minister and encourage and strengthen them out of the overflow. Because we don't have any overflow. Because we're empty. 
and we don't even realize how thirsty we are. In fact, isn't that the danger with physical dehydration? That sometimes you can get to a level where you don't even realize how thirsty you are and how deprived of water you are. That's the way it is even with people who suffer from like heat stroke and heat exhaustion. They don't even realize that their body has now stopped, you know, producing any kind of sweat or anything and that they're in a very danger. You, you get to that place where it's sort of cloudy and you don't even realize the desperate condition you're in. And Jesus, I think that's why he's so filled with emotion. He says, guys, your life doesn't have to be that way. The Holy Spirit wants to be this river that flows through you with this supernatural resource that God wants to provide for you. But you just simply, simply have to acknowledge you're thirsty. And that's why Jesus starts off this great invitation with that, those words. If anyone is thirsty, and notice he says anyone. There's no restriction. It's not like, well, you can get this water, but somebody else can't. God's invitation is open to any human being. If anyone is thirsty, all you have to do is acknowledge your thirst. Then Jesus says God will satisfy that thirst like nothing or no one else can. This is why the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives, even as Christians. Because we don't realize sometimes that one of the reasons why God gave us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us is so the Holy Spirit could be this heart surgeon that literally shapes our heart to beat for God, to give us a passion for God. That's what worship is all about. It's about who we value the most and what we value the most in our life. And then the Holy Spirit will also begin to shape our priorities that instead of living for priorities that are out of line with God, the Holy Spirit will start to make our life line up with God, and all of a sudden, God's priorities and what he values the most and what he thinks is worth the most will become what we value and what we think is worth the most. And that's when real living begins. That's when we really, really, really come alive in life. And then, the Holy Spirit will be our provision. Supernatural resource of refreshment and nourishment anytime. Just up to us to say, God, I'm thirsty. And God will provide. God will provide. God has provided for our church. And the reason we're able to celebrate today the way we are is because God has been faithful and God has provided. He's a good God. He's a great God. And we need to acknowledge that today. And right now, for the next few moments, the people of God have an opportunity not to say wonderful things about God, but their heart isn't there. It's to say, God... I want to sing out to you. I want to praise you. I want to adore you on my knees. I want to lift my hands, I, however the Spirit leads. But God, I want to show you that I'm here not because I, I think I have to be. I'm not here at this moment because I feel obligated. I'm here to, to do what I'm doing and live the way I'm living because I want to, because I truly love you, God. And my heart beats for you more than anyone or anything else. 
Would you stand, please? Lord, we pray today that we would be a church filled with worshipers who have a passion for you. That we won't get caught up in things that really don't matter. But that we will allow your Holy Spirit, even right now, to begin to shape our hearts to beat for you, God. And that the priorities that you have for us will become our priorities. And that even now, if someone here is in this auditorium and they have come in thirsty, parched, that God, they can be refreshed right now through your spirit. That that river could begin to flow in their life so that they could be filled with all the fullness of God. God, use this time in a precious way for yourself and for our benefit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.